Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Brad Silverberg is someone that I've wanted to interview since the very first day that we started this project. In the early 1990s, Brad was one of the key champions of the Internet within Microsoft. As the first ever senior vice president of the Internet Platform and Tools Group, he essentially led Microsoft's earliest efforts to embrace the Internet and the web beginning in late 1995, early 1996. As the senior vice president for the personal systems division, Brad actually also led the development of Windows from the launch of Windows 3.0 through Windows 95, which he helped establish as Microsoft's greatest ever product. And today he's a venture capitalist with both Fuel Capital and Ignition Partners. Due to time constraints, in this episode, we don't go into the Windows story until right at the end, but since we're here for internet history anyway, I'm sure you're going to be as fascinated as I was to hear Brad Silverberg describe how Microsoft embraced the internet and the web. Brad Silverberg, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. It's my pleasure, Brian. So I believe that uh, earlier, early on in your career, um, you you worked both at uh, the Stanford Research Institute, which was one of ARPANET's original nodes, and you also did networking work at Apple. So early on, um, is it fair to say that you came to be a believer in the in the system of, of the web and the net and the open protocols of, of, of the Internet especially? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I was at, at uh, SRI in my first job out of grad school in the late 70s. And SRI was, I think, the first node on the Internet. Back then it was called the ARPANET and the MELNET. And uh, so early on in my career, I was very connected. We did a lot of email and, and took full advantage of connectivity with uh, our colleagues uh, around the world that we collaborated with. Uh, then uh, after I left, uh, SRI went to work for Apple. I worked on Lisa as a software developer, and one of the projects I worked on towards the end of my time there was on uh, networking. And <clears throat> Apple was developing its own protocol called AppleNet, and it, it, it puzzled me, like, why are we in, inventing our own protocols which are similar but different and incompatible? with what was emerging as the uh, standard at that point, which were Xerox's XNS protocols. Uh, and uh, so I, I was always in favor of, if you're going to do networking, the whole point is to connect people together, and that meant uh, open protocols. Eventually, obviously, you, you go to Microsoft. Um, I'm curious in the... In the early 90s, uh, you know, prior to 94, prior to the web taking off, what was there any sort of Internet culture at Microsoft? And I'm talking about specifically, like, you know, among the engineers and the programmers and the like. No, I wouldn't say there was an Internet culture. I think there were individuals who had been exposed to the Internet uh, that were excited by it. 
myself, uh, Snosky, Jay Allard, uh, Henry Sanders, a bunch of us were uh, had ex- been exposed to it. Same time, you know, Microsoft had its own networking protocols, uh, and Novell had its own networking protocol. And when I was running the Windows group, I became a big proponent of adopting TCP/IP for uh, for Windows. And so while we did have a uh, a Microsoft NetBuoy stack. We had uh, compatibility with Novell. I also had a project to uh, to build uh, TCP/IP. So I felt TCP/IP was going to be the long-term winner in the networking protocol arena, and I wanted Microsoft to have um, uh, built-in support, high-performance built-in support to uh, connect to TCP/IP. So we did. We built that actually into Windows Workgroups. We which was an ideal platform for that. Uh, prior to that, it was very difficult, especially on Windows 3X, to have a high-performance TCP/IP stack because of the memory requirements. And, but with uh, Windows 4 groups, we had a virtual device driver model called VXDs, which allowed the device driver to run up in protect mode and not take part of that 640K space that was so limiting. Uh, and as a result, we could get a very high-performance uh, a TCP IP stack uh, built into Windows 4 groups, and that's formed the basis of what we put into Windows 95. We also wanted to make it much easier to use. If you remember back then, TCP IP was notoriously difficult to use and configure as an end user. Uh, it had static IP addresses, and it had to set the subnet mask, and so for any individual user who wanted to connect their workstation to use TCP IP, it was, a, it was a real pain in the neck and was expensive and and uh, support desks hated it. So we wanted to innovate and make it fully plug and play. Our philosophy with Windows 95 was to make everything plug and play. And uh, so we innovated with DHCP and we did all a bunch of things to, to allow it to work in a dial-up environment. and. Uh, Make TCP/IP uh, the you know the preferred product in, in a networking protocol. Well, let's let's talk some about the chronology of that because you know in the early '90s to into the mid '90s, you know you're you're working on um, the Chicago project, which would become uh, Windows 95. Do you remember when the the ideas were first being raised to integrate internet features into Windows 95? Well, it was kind of a continuum. I was working on a bunch of different things all together. I was working on Windows 3X. I was working on Windows 4 groups and then Windows 95. I had MS-DOS. Uh, I had a bunch of different projects that worked for me, and there was an overlap between Windows 4 groups and Windows 95. And so I did view it as a continuum. Uh, the first step really was to uh, the TCP IP stuff that I mentioned mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. that into Windows 4 groups. Right. And uh, the... The underlying kernel for Windows Workgroup 3.1.1 was the kernel that we were going to use for Chicago. It had the VXD driver model. It had uh, fully protect mode, 32-bit um, underlying operation. It had a new uh, protect mode, high-performance 32-bit opera, uh, file system. So that was kind of laying the basis for what became uh, 
Chicago on Windows 95, and that was in probably 92. Uh, I think Windows 4 Groups 3.1.1 shipped in 1992, maybe 1993. So we were, all, we were thinking about inter-networking and TCP IP as your local networking protocol uh, at that point. And then somewhere in around 92, 93, uh, I started to think, you know, higher levels in the stack and, and became uh, aware of the web and the HTML and the browser and saw that that really, I got really excited about that. I saw that it was going to provide, well, I viewed it was, this was going to be the next generation computing. We were in the GUI generation now. We were still PC slash GUI generation. We we're still in the process of making that uh, a big standard. But then I have to look out what comes after that. And I was particularly excited about um, the potential of the web. And so sometime in into 93, maybe early 94, I had a project going on internally to build uh, a web browser. Uh, at that point, it wasn't obvious. There was all different types of Internet protocols. There was to do all kinds of different things. Right, right. And I, really, the, the web consolidated all that. There was Archie and or Gopher and all kinds of stuff that I, that's I don't actually, remember I have at a, this point. I have a question about that. So was, was there a sense at the time, not only at Microsoft but others in the industry, that the Internet was kind of simply too wild and wooly to ever go mainstream and – like maybe people expected, everyone expected network computing to take off and go mainstream, but the fact that it was the web that caused it to take off maybe caught some people by surprise? Uh, you know, you had to have the underlying capability first. Uh, having TCP IP built into the operating system in a high-performance way was a necessary enabling factor to allow the web to take off. Uh, and there was a lot of experimentation. It wasn't clear in 92, 93 what the driving the killer application for the Internet would be. Um, so I think it did take some people by surprise. But it was, to me, it was the manifestation of the full potential of the personal computer. To me, the web... Was more. It was more than just internetworking. It was more than just connecting computers together uh, and extracting information from them. It was delivering a level of ease of use to the personal computer. To me, that I felt was kind of the the destiny of personal computing. The thing that was the next step beyond graphical user interfaces. Um, so there was there were a lot of skeptics certainly in Microsoft or around the world, uh, about what was going to uh, be be the next thing after graphical user interfaces on PCs. And I think in 1995, 96, 97, it became clear that the web, the web was going to be it. This is also, though, the era of, you know, online services, proprietary online services, and, and Microsoft is That's right. developing one of their own. CompuServe and AOL. Right. And so you guys are developing the MSN network, which is supposed to be a part of that. So even though you're, you're, That's right. you're saying you're a believer in that the Internet and the web is, is the way to go and it's what's going to win, 
did you have to fight? Was there a... Okay. <laughs> have you read the book, Breaking yes, Windows? Yes, I have. So okay. I'm curious, strategically... Yeah. But when you say you guys, you guys is a big phrase mm-hmm. that I, you know, at Microsoft, there are a lot of different, you know, Microsoft is well known for having many different groups who have their own opinion of how the world may evolve. And there was certainly uh, the MSN group, which was modeled on the uh, AOL CompuServe. Uh, They believed in, quote, the information superhighway and not necessarily the Internet. In fact, the the first version of MSN that shipped with Windows 95 was X25-based. And my team thought that was just idiotic, to be honest, to be blunt. And so we developed our own connector, for MSN called O'Hare that was a TCP IP connector to allow MSN to use TCP IP instead of the X25 network, which uh, the MSN team was developing. Um, so, yeah, there, there's no doubt that there was a very vigorous debate inside Microsoft about the Internet slash Internet slash information superhighway online services, where the internet is, is it an opportunity, is it a threat, uh, and all that stuff. And uh, there's no doubt that there was a very vigorous debate between the Windows group or my group and, you know, I was probably the leading proponent of the internet inside Microsoft at that time and and the MSN team. Um, We didn't see the world the same way. and how it would evolve. And in fact, you know, Bill's book, The Road Ahead, which mm-hmm. was published in 1995, I think October 1995, I'm not, didn't even really mention the internet. It talked all about the information superhighway and not about the internet. Now, it became clear in 96 that that was an incom- shall we say, an incomplete view and in a second edition was rushed out pretty quickly to incorporate the Internet. But, you know, the, the primary view of Microsoft, the company, in 1995 was mixed of, about the Internet or online services or Windows, and there were internal debates and battles and arguments and factions um, that took a number of years to get resolved. I'm, I'm curious about that internally, um, you know, because again, especially, you know, the, the end of 94, all of 95, you know, this is the, the, the biz- biggest project that Microsoft has ever had, getting Windows 95 out the door. And, you know, there's these famous series of memos that that are credited with starting to alert Microsoft internally to the the strategic implications of the web and things like that. What was it like on the ground as you're, 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 you're focusing on getting windows 95 out the door, but then it's almost like the landscape is changing at the exact same time. Like how difficult was that to, to turn that ship around and what did that feel like to have that change happening at that? Well, I like I said, I had multiple projects going on simultaneously. So while I was, uh, developing Windows 95, um, I also had uh, internet projects that were in full swing uh, underway. Uh, I had an early project to build uh, an internet browser client that didn't go so well. 
I was unhappy with the progress, and this was in early 94, mid-94. I was unhappy with the progress, so I changed the, uh, the leadership of that group, um, and then I became much happier with the progress. We were making good progress. We were actually looking to buy the BookLink browser we, uh, to accelerate our efforts, and uh, uh, we were negotiating with BookLink. We had a lot of internal resistance to buying the BookLink browser. Resistance uh, because people wanted wanted to do it internally. Didn't know why they you should buy. No, they wanted they wanted MSN. MSN. Mm, okay. It was the MSN group that fought us really hard. They said, "No, we're the ones who should own it." And we don't really believe in the internet. And uh, it uh, became very painful to uh, to move that forward. Uh, they managed to convince Bill. I don't know. Slowed down the entire process of who would have the responsibility for negotiating the final deal with BookLink to buy it. Meanwhile, AOL bought it out from under us, and they paid $25 million, and they bought the BookLink. Um, was that, was so that, we went back to the drawing bar. Was that eye-opening? For... I think that was in the 94. Yeah, but was that eye-opening for people? At yeah, Microsoft? I mean... Go ahead. Well, again, you say people at Microsoft... <laughs> I can't speak for the people at Microsoft. Okay, was that for, did that bring people over to for your the point MSN of view? group? They thought it was victory. <laughs> for uh, for my group, I thought it was it, it frustrated frustrated the, the heck out of me. Sure, um, because I'm trying to ship Windows 95 as quickly as I can, but I also see this internet thing starting to gather momentum, and I wanted Microsoft to take a leadership position. On the internet, I saw the internet as really the next platform, the mm-hmm. next platform transition in computing, and I wanted Microsoft to get out in front of it and take a leadership position and do something really cool and innovate. Uh, and having the book link, getting caught up in a lot of internal politics, and not being able to move quickly ahead uh, was was really frustrating. Um, you, you guys, and so we ended up. You guys end up with Spyglass, buying, uh, but I was curious. Uh, yeah, so we before, end up buying Spyglass. Before Spyglass, though, was what about Netscape? Like, wouldn't that be a consideration to to purchase them or to to license from them at that uh, point? We had conversation. We had some conversations with Netscape, and they wanted onerous terms. They wanted like a royalty on mm-hmm. Windows or something. Like Microsoft doesn't pay royalties. Like uh, we're not paying a royalty. It's you know we'll just purchase Spyglass. I mean, it's all based on the same code anyways. Right, uh, the, the so original Mosaic code. Winner to, yeah, the NCSA code, uh, uh, Mosaic code. So we ended up, uh, we did have some conversations with uh, with Netscape, and then those got all mixed up too because my group was having some conversations. I had conversations with Jim Clark, but then some of the MSN guys, uh, they also got involved. Uh, another guy whose name I won't mention, but uh, he he got put in charge of negotiating with with Netscape and made a bunch of really stupid, really stupid statements that didn't reflect my group, my internet group's viewpoint, or even really spoke for Microsoft, but were rather sensational, chest thumping things that became part of the antitrust trial. 
Oh, very embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Just stupid, 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 stupid stuff that was said that uh, really hurt the company. And then, and with just some some guy walking out trying to be a big shot, and uh, it really came back to hurt because it especially didn't even reflect my group, which had at that point had the internet responsibility. Um, so we, yeah, we we bought Spyglass not thinking that we were going to build anything long term on them. We went, we needed to get something into market quickly as a placeholder until we could get our own internally developed product that we uh, out there. So we shipped IE1 based on Spyglass. We shipped IE2 based on Spyglass. But at the same time, we had our own internal effort that was, was um, a complete rethinking of of the browser architecture that resulted in IE3 that changed the rules of the game. Right. And it was an unbelievably great product. It was the best. Our goal was to be the best browser from an end-user standpoint, to be the best browser from a standard standpoint, and the best browser from a platform or developer standpoint. And uh, we decided uh, to... It was a very risky approach uh, to re-architect the browser as a series of components that could be then integrated into other applications. I mean, our view was the Internet should be part of everything. It shouldn't be just something walled off into a separate application called a browser. Uh, my view and our view and my team was the Internet should be part of it. It's just part of every application. And so we wanted people to be able to write their own applications um, that used the Internet, took advantage, full advantage of the Internet. So we re-architected the browser to be a series of components, and one application of those components would be our browser, the i3. Another application was we struck a deal with AOL to build their Internet browser. Apparently the, the BookLink project internally to AOL failed and they needed a browser. They were in negotiations with Netscape 2, and in fact, it made sense for them, from all intents and purposes, to really do a deal with Netscape because, you know, Microsoft was competing with AOL, with MSN, uh, and uh, some people from Kleiner Perkins, who were the investors in Netscape, were also on the board of AOL. So the deal was all set up, really, for uh, Netscape and AOL to work together. But the problem was the Netscape client was just a bunch of spaghetti code. Uh, and it, it uh, and you needed to have source access and Netscape's cooperation to be able to build another client out of it. And Netscape was at the time extraordinarily arrogant and uh, treated treated AOL like crap. To be honest, uh, AOL came to Netscape and asked for, "Hey, we need your support. We need your help." You know, we need to make these changes. Here are some of our requirements. And Netscape basically told them to take a hike. You know, and, and I heard this directly from Steve Case. He said, you know, Netscape told us you'll get what we give you if we ever decide to give it to you when we, when we want to give it to you. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. So I, I signed my head internet guy, Ben Slipka. I said, you know what? Your job is to love. Embrace AOL with love, and whatever they want, that's what they get. If they 
say jump, you say how high. And if we win the AOL deal, you know, we felt that was pretty critical to our uh, getting to critical mass uh, with our browser. And despite the uh, fact at that, that point we were insane. despite the fact that MSN is competing with AOL, that, that it was more important to do the AOL uh, deal. Despite the fact that Steve Case and Bill Gates could barely sit in the same room together, they despised each other so much. Um, I was able to negotiate a deal in the face of incredible distrust between Microsoft and AOL um, that got Bill's approval and got Steve Case's approval um, because we gave them whatever they wanted. We gave them a next-generation browser that allowed them to do whatever they wanted, building on our components, and whatever features or support that they wanted, they got from us. And Netscape, you know, did everything they could to kill the deal. Um, to kill the deal that they that was theirs to, to lose, and they lost it. And it was a good sign, it was a good example of, to me, of how Microsoft can can be both a competitor and uh, a partner to companies that when you in a platform business, you do your best to support your developers, even if they compete with another part of your business. And um, I went overboard to to uh, be a good partner to AOL. And I think if you talk to the folks at AOL who we worked with then, you know, a lot of them will still say, you know, we hated Microsoft, but you know what? We loved working with Brad's group. They treated us fairly. They gave us everything we wanted. Uh, and um, they were, uh, you know, they were a good partner. And so that feels good when your biggest competitor mm -hmm. and a company standpoint says, hey, you know, we treated them fairly. And IE3 was a groundbreaking product. It changed the rules of the game. Um, and it, it formed the basis for what we did with IE4 with the HTML and the main object model and XML and really turned um, the browser into a first-class platform. Can I, and, uh, can I ask you... Looked, can I ask yeah. you about the IE team? Uh, because we've had Ben Slivka on, Chris Wilson, Hadi Partovi, and I've heard you say on another podcast that the, the IE team was one of the best teams you've ever worked with. It was super focused, required little managerial direction that they all knew what to do. It was almost zen-like. Can you talk about the IE team a little bit? Unbelievable. The two, my two favorite teams in my entire career were the Windows 95 team and the IE3 team. Now, you earlier said something about Windows 95 being the bigger, biggest project at Microsoft. Actually, the, the team itself was quite small. The Windows 95 team was under 400 people. The success of Windows 95 might have been one of the biggest Microsoft ever produced, but the team itself was, for billing and operating system, was, was actually tiny. Now, the IE3 team was about 65 people. That's it. 65 people who were all true believers in the internet, the power of the browser and the internet to transform people's lives, the role, the positive role that Microsoft could play in helping shape a next generation computing. We believed in a way of changing the culture of Microsoft to engage in the broader world in a constructive way and behave in a way which we felt was an example uh, for the company, and I think the you know the AOL relationship is a good example. We signed a deal with with Sun. We built a great relationship with Apple. Uh, 
We were on the board of the W3C. Thomas Reardon uh, was a very active and constructive member of the W3C, pushing forward new Internet standards at a time when Netscape was actually uh, acting in a very proprietary uh, unilateral way, thinking that they could dictate new Internet standards, and they were uh, pulling away from uh, uh, you know, constructive engagement with the community while Microsoft was embracing it. And in fact, I recall Steve Jobs at our March 1996 PDC where we introduced uh, IE3. Uh, we had Steve Case announcing an AOL deal. We announced a licensing deal with Sun for Java. And we also had Steve Jobs on stage uh, at the IE3 PDC saying how blown away he was about working with Microsoft, how much he enjoyed it, how the Mac IE client was incredible. And he said, you know, what really surprised him was working with Microsoft was what he had expected working with Netscape to be like. And working with Netscape was what he had expected working with Microsoft to be like. He said, I just love working with you guys, and I hope uh, to have a long relationship with you. And that, that felt great. Yeah. It, uh, we, were pushing the, we were pushing the state of the art forward. We were innovating with the Internet. We were engaging with the broader community. We were changing the culture of the company. Uh, it was an, a, a brilliant, brilliant team with Hadi and Thomas Reardon and Beth Slivka and Chris Jones and John Cordell and uh, only 65 people, but we were, we felt we had uh, you know the mission of our lives uh, with with stakes that high, and uh, we took huge risks architecturally. It wasn't clear that the IE3 architecture actually could be built in a performant way, uh, in a robust way, and uh, but we felt we had to change the rules of the game. We had to. And it, but it came from our view that the Internet really needed to be part of everything. Why should the Internet be locked up into a browser frame? Every application should be able to do HTTP, HTML, use whatever parts of uh, the stack that it wanted to build those capabilities into its own application. Uh, a couple more questions. You were around the time of... Early '96, you're you're named the first, you know, senior vice president of Microsoft's Internet Platform and, and Tools Group. So you're, you're given the charge yeah. of, of of leading all of these initiatives. What were your marching orders, and what was it that you wanted to achieve? What direction did you want to go in? That's a good question, and it, it relates a little bit to the earlier conversation. I was really eager to ship Windows 95 so that I could turn 100% of my attention to the Internet. Because um, I had, like I said, I had both projects going on internally. Uh, I had, there were a number of internal other advocates for the Internet, like Jay Allard, who wrote a influential memo, Steve Sanofsky, who was Bill's technical assistant, wrote an influential memo based on his experiences when he went back to Cornell, which was his alma, alma mater. Oh, right. And, and talking about, hey, this, this Internet thing is real, and we, we need to embrace it. 
so I was super excited to uh, uh, to ship Windows 95 and then be able to focus full time on the internet stuff and um, viewing the internet as the next generation platform. So it wasn't so much in this. You asked about like Bill's tidal wave memo, which came out in December. Mm-hmm. I think it was December of '95. Uh, to those of us on the IE team, and many of those who were, uh, you know, drinking the internet Kool Aid for a couple of years, um, it, it kind of felt like, you know, it's great that Bill is now finally. Uh, lending support to the internet, but at, at the same time, it felt like he was the last executive in the company to come around. Uh, so it was nice because now it kind of eliminated a lot of the internal resistance we had, at least for a period of time, to the internet and to have build build support. Um, why do you Why do you think he was the, it wasn't the last? Like why do you think he was the last to come around? Well, he, he, there were a lot of conflicting positions inside the company that he had to reconcile. The MSN team, the Windows team, the Internet stuff, trying to, you know, if you're Microsoft in the middle of 1995, the world is pretty good. You know, you're, right, right. you're top of the, you're king of the hill. You own Windows right after Windows 95 ships. You like, the whole technology world revolves around you. Like, life is, life is really, really good. Why would you ever want the world to change? You know, understandably, you don't. Mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. want the world to change. You uh, and you have to ascertain. You know, are there forces external to Microsoft that are even stronger than the strongest company in the world to, in the technology business? And there were a lot of people who argued, "Hey, you know, we can." And that was reflected in, you know, Bill's first book. You know, it didn't really talk about the internet. It talked about the information superhighway that Microsoft could be the owner of. Um, and so that it took a while for Bill to really get to that position. Um, and uh, I, was, I was grateful that he was. Um, it cleared a lot of interference to allow us to go faster, not have to spend as much time in internal debates about things we wanted to do to support the internet. Um, but the, you know the debates continued. The the Windows Group viewed the internet more as a threat than an opportunity, uh, and we viewed it as uh, more of an opportunity as well as a threat, certainly. But a a threat that presented an opportunity for us to take a leadership position and and help shape the next generation. Uh, and so that's with that belief in mind of being able to shape that next generation platform of what we formed the Internet Platform and Tools Division for. It's hard to say what the charter was because I basically, you know, took the initiative to, to build it and with the philosophy of uh, better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission sometimes. And uh, kind of charged ahead even though the charter wasn't completely agreed upon or clear or... 100% supported by people throughout the organization. Um, and I figured, well, you know, I'd rather just get out in front as fast as I could and help shape things and, uh, you know, deal with whatever fallout might come. 
but as it turned out, uh, you know, the debates continued internally, and uh, the Windows team uh, ultimately uh, got the momentum and got the upper hand and had the Internet Platform Tools Division killed. And, uh, and Microsoft then basically went into hibernation as far as the Internet was concerned for, for a number of years and uh, paid the price. You know, they, became, they were the Windows first company, not the Internet first company. My view was that you could do both. You could be Internet first and Windows first. Um, and uh, ultimately, that's not what the company, how the company viewed it. And disbanded the IPTD. And uh, uh, as a result, many of us who were working on the Internet in those years uh, ended up leaving the company. Mm -hmm. out, of, out of frustration that, that the direction that you thought was right was, was not the direction they wanted to go in. Yeah, ultimately that's the case. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. We 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 believed that the internet was the future, and we wanted to orient the company around building the next internet platform, with including Windows. Um, but ultimately, that was not the direction the company wanted to choose. It chose uh, an internet uh, Windows first dis uh, direction, disbanded IPTD, uh, took the Internet Explorer. Uh, from my group and incorporated it into, into the the Windows group, and uh, you know that's basically when IE died. Right. That's a, Ben Ben Slivka spoke at length about that. Is that just a classic sort of you know almost cliche Clayton Christensen thing of them wanting to protect this this platform that that had won? So well, completely? absolutely, yeah, yeah. They wanted to, yeah, they wanted to protect uh, protect the Windows franchise. I mean, it's all understandable. Like I said, it, who, if you're Microsoft, why do you really want the world to change? Hey, life, life is good. You know, stocks at an all-time high and going up and up and up. Well, life is good. Um, so it was understandable, but I, you know, Ben and I and John Ludwig and a bunch of us disagreed pretty strongly and tried for a couple of years to convince Bill and otherwise. And but in the end, you know, it was Bill's decision. And Bill, Bill was chairman, CEO. He gets to make those calls. It's his job as the CEO to make the hard calls. He made those calls, and after a while, um, you know, I guess we we all felt uh, pretty pretty defeated that uh, our view of Microsoft, as expressed through products like IE three and IE four, uh, was not going to be the future of the company, and. Uh, so we went and did other things. I, I want to final question. I want to end on a slightly lighter note, in the sense that um, this year is is hey, the... it's all good. You know, <laughs> life goes on. Life goes on. Well, let, let's end with this. In the sense, we all, we all have. Go ahead. You know, Microsoft. They they make their choices. Bill gets to you know they get to make their choices and and uh, you know outcomes, the consequences. No, I uh, I, I appreciate I it, your insights. It was a huge mistake for the company. It lost. It lost. Uh, it went from the leading technology company to one which is now, um, you know, struggling to regain re re relevance. Mm -hmm. and I think they're doing an amazing job right now. Sach is doing fantastic, reinventing the company and regaining relevance in a in a mobile cloud-first world. Uh, but I think the roots of that go back to Microsoft turning its back on 
you know, the changes, the broader changes that were happening in the world and deciding it wanted to turn inward rather than continuing its outward-facing approach. Well, so let me do end with this, though, because it is um, t- this year is the, the 20th anniversary recently of, of Windows 95 launching, and, and you played such a key role in that. And if you look at just the, the numbers in terms of penetrations of PCs into homes and, and the PC truly, truly, truly going mainstream for everybody, Windows 95 is so key on that. So just on a personal level... Um, when you look back 20 years on, on that project and that achievement, um, how, how do you feel about that? Incredibly gratified. We had a 20th anniversary party a month ago to celebrate uh, Windows 95, and it was maybe the best party I've ever had in my life. It was so great to get uh, all old friends together back to celebrate the imp- you know, what we accomplished in Windows 95, the impact, it, it changed the world. I mean, people talk about, oh, well, I changed the world. And, you know, my photo application is going to change the world or something, you know. Windows 95, it, it changed the world. It, our goal, our vision was very similar to our Internet vision, which was we wanted to democratize computing. We were so in love with the joy of personal computing and so intoxicated by the vision of personal computing that we wanted to make it available to everybody around the world of all shapes, colors, sizes, incomes, educational backgrounds. We wanted to take, we wanted to democratize computing, open it up to grandmas, to poor kids in India and China to allow everybody to connect, communicate, create, be more productive. And with that vision of personal computing and computing for everybody around the world and how that changed our lives, that's what drove us with Windows 95. And Windows 95 was a catalyst. It was the right product at the right time in history with the right hardware that was becoming available and the right popular awareness and interest um, that... Um, you know, our view was we wanted to, you know, make a dent in the universe. In the universe, and to look back and see the role that we had, the team had, it was a small team. To see personal computers, the role that they play in society. To see, you know, like I said, little kids in India, or kids in China, or kids in Africa, have a chance in a globalized society get a level of education that they wouldn't have, to be out uh, global marketplaces for shopping, for communications and, and Skype, or all these ways that we, the world is a, a friendlier, smaller um, place that levels the playing field, that gives a kid who lives somewhere in the middle of nowhere in China or India or Bangladesh, access to an education that he never would have had before possible. Um, very humbling thing. It's uh, to feel that we had a big part of that is, uh, you know, something that we'll be proud of for the rest of our lives and tell our grandkids about and uh, and know that uh, the that internet vision we have was really just a continuation extension of that vision. 
Well, uh, Brad Silverberg, thank you for coming on the podcast and remembering both of those stories, not only the, the Windows 95 story, but, um, you know, uh, bringing, bringing uh, Microsoft online. Thank you so much. My pleasure. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at nethistorypod, and my personal Twitter is at brianmcc. Thanks for listening.